Welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. As a church, we believe that you're made for this, and God has a plan for your life. Here's this week's message. Anybody going to be in the house on Vision Sunday? Make some noise. I even had a hat made with the, the date on it. So for the next three weeks, I will be wearing something with the date of Vision Sunday on it. I have a sweatshirt upstairs, a t-shirt upstairs, and I have this hat. What day is 10, 15, 23? Okay, just so you know, I'm going to give somebody $10,000 in the spiritual realm, which means that you got to have the faith to get it out of that realm into the natural, um, which I've explained multiple times. And, and here's the good news. If you don't have the faith to do that, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to give you a check for $10,000. Make some noise for that. Um, if somebody gets a tattoo with Vision Sunday, just 10, 15, 23, if somebody gets a tattoo of the Vision Sunday date, you get $10,000 in the spiritual realm. I'm, I'm just kidding, because some of y'all millennials, it's like when he said that, the Lord just he's put it on my heart. He's like, do it, do it. All I saw was a swoosh, and then just do it, just do it, just do it. Millennial religious people are crazy. Y'all are so spiritual. So I'm like, look, pastor, I did it. And then I'm like, going to be in trouble be on the internet. Man, I'm just trying to stay off the internet. Like, just, I'm trying to keep my life clean, stay married. You ain't putting me on a Netflix doc. You ain't, nope. No, 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 no. No. No, man. Y'all ain't about to stream my life and my downfall. No, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Y'all praying for me, man? Make sure you pray for me. Make sure you pray for me, because it's hard out here in these streets. It's hard out here in these streets to be a Christian, man. Anybody feeling good? Everybody feeling good? We got people in the balcony, man. Dang, make some noise for people coming to church. We've been in a series the last two weeks. If you're the first time here, um, um, I am strange, but I love God, so... Um, just bear with me. We're in a series about surrendering to Jesus called uh, Let Him Cook. And uh, I think it's really important that we surrender to Jesus. Um, and here's what's crazy. It's like, it, this is actually important. There's like a, an artist. I keep forgetting her name because I don't listen to her music. Carrie Underwood. Do I look like I listen to Carrie Underwood? She's a great artist, but like, do I? When you look at me, do you like, yeah, Carrie Underwood. Makes sense. Like, I grew up listening to Snoop, so it's just a weird transition from Snoop to Carrie Underwood. It's like... You can't go from, with so much drama in LBC to, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, it just doesn't, that playlist doesn't really work. But she even made a song called Jesus, Take the Wheel about Jesus having more control, which is kind of weird because, like, have you noticed in culture, we, like, Jesus is a last resort? It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. Well, why were you driving? Come on, if Jesus is in the car, why are you driving? Or like some crazy thing happens, and we go, well, all we can do now is pray. Well, you should have been praying. It's almost like Jesus is the last resort, like the spare tire you pull out of the trunk when life goes really bad. And I'm afraid that most Christians aren't living fulfilled lives because the only time they can connect with God is through trauma. I want to connect with God through blessings. Anybody else want to get like 10 million and go, thank you, Jesus. Come on, God, do it again. 
Like, I'm tired of connecting with God when things go bad. I want things to go good and then go, Lord, I surrender to you. Anybody been to a restaurant and, and walk into the kitchen and, and ask the chef, what are you doing? Just be careful that you don't put too much of this and that. And, you know, I, I get it, but you are there to let them do something. And I want to be a church that lets God do what he does. Can I be honest with you? Because I'm in a more honest mood at the 11.15 than I am at the 9.30. <laughs> Religious people out there in the world try to be the Holy Spirit and bring about conviction by spouting the truth all over their Instagram. It's my number one pet peeve. When people post the truth on their Instagram and go, be bold, post the truth. As if God is waiting at him. You know, we really need someone with 474 followers to post God's view of purity on their stories. And that's how we're going to get the truth to the world. No, no, no. God said you're the light of the world. Just don't be dark. Man, have some joy. Have some love. Have some grace. Now, the Bible says that the word is the light to my path and a lamp to my feet. So without the word, you cannot be a light. Being a light is not crystals. It's not energy. It's not vibes. It's the word manifesting itself in your behavior and character. And when you step into dark places, you shine. Anybody want to shine in this season? And part of that is like you got to surrender in order to shine. And so we've been, we're going to unpack four different things this week about what does it mean to not just believe but surrender to Jesus. And number one, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, last week I thought it was fire and my wife did. And at the end of the day... You know, that's, that's who the opinions that mean the most. So if you did it, I'm sorry. But last week was how receptive are you to God's word? Anybody was in that sermon last week? We were preaching Ezekiel and God really moved. And I'm excited if you didn't get a chance to watch that. This week, we're talking about how responsive you are to God's presence. Week one, how receptive are you to God's word? Week two, how responsive are you to God's presence? We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about how submitted you are to God's will. You have a will. Um, God has a will. They're rarely the same. Uh, I wish they were. People always go, how do you know, Pastor Julian, when you're hearing from God? My number one, for me personally, way that I know I'm hearing from God is that I don't agree with what God just said to me, and I don't want to do it. It's most likely God. Um, so for me, why would God open the heavens and tell me to do something I was already going to do? He doesn't say, open the heavens, say, son, be black, take a shower. I was already, those two things were already going to happen. And so when God opens up the heavens, he's probably going to tell me something that in my soul and in my emotions, I wouldn't want to do. Does that make sense? If you agree, follow that word very slowly. If you don't agree, probably move a little quicker because God usually has to speak something to you that you wouldn't do without God speaking. So how submitted are you to God's will? And by the way, God's will, it says in Romans 12, well, let me not give you that because uh, I'm going to preach on that that week. Um, <laughs> Week number four, how passionate are you for God's house? Make some noise for being passionate for God's house. Now, when I say passionate for God's house, let me tell you what I mean and what I tell you I don't mean. Let me start with what I don't mean. I don't mean that you are an unpaid intern who's three months behind on your rent, but you serve 30 hours in the church. That's not what I mean. Because that happens. Sometimes if we're not careful as leaders, I can manipulate passion. And how long you're here determines how passionate you are. I'm talking about not 
are you here for a long time? There are people who serve countless hours, and I'm grateful for you. But what I mean by passion, I mean is something burning on the inside of you. Passion means to be lit on fire in the Bible. And not are you burning for the affirmation of your leaders so you overserve. I'm talking about are you on fire? Did Jesus light that fire on the inside of you? Sometimes you can have so much respect and honor for a preacher, which I thank you for that, that you actually work and serve in the church to gain the affirmation of the culture because the culture is saying in order to be affirmed, you ever been in a church and all you have is three hours and this person has 30 hours and that person always gets praise, man, they're so faithful and they're so this, but I want to see you have personal fruit. And I got to be honest with you, some of y'all got to stop serving because we want your, your life to be ordered and your family to be in order. If you ever argue with your wife on a Sunday morning or argue with your your family and and something's not right at home and you got to get that right and you got to miss serving to come and get what's right. If something's off with your kids, let us know. Does that make sense? Like we want, this is a place for you to be healthy and whole, not a place for you to, so passionate for God's house is like, can be a trigger word for some people because you might've come from a culture where it was all about the church, you know, uh, remember, if you've been in church long enough, you've heard the phrase, it's not about you. Like, when you're tired, hey, this is not about us. We're, we're, yes, it is. It's all about you. Christ is all about you. What we want to say is that if you're about yourself, only one of you can be about you. So we, God will never be about you while you're about you. So when we make it about others, God is about us. But let me tell you something, it's all about you. But when you're about you, you're taking God's job. God would love to be all about you. So it frees us up to be all about God's people. I don't mean a building when I say passion for God's house. I mean God's people, God's sons and God's daughters, including the ones that don't yet know that he is their father. That is your neighbors. That is your friends. How passionate are you to bring God's lost kids back home? This is more of a comprehensive passion than a passion displayed by hours of serving, although I'm grateful that you serve, or how much money you give, although we're grateful that you give. So this week is, how responsive are you to God's presence? God's presence should create a response. If you were in the front row, if somebody was in the front row right now, right now, LeBron James is 6'9". LeBron James walks up in the middle of the service because he's late and sit in the front row with his big 6'9 self. There's not a person in this room, if he walked right down to the front and sat right here, there's not a person in this room that wouldn't be listening, listening to me, but not have in their mind that LeBron James is in the front row. His presence would alter the room. And he's LeBron James, and it would alter it. Every once in a while, you would look over there, right? And you might be lifting your hands in worship, and if he lifted his hands in worship, LeBron James is lifting his hands in worship. This is crazy, LeBron James. There's no way you wouldn't text someone. You wouldn't even have to be in basketball game. LeBron James is in church today. Why? Because his presence shifted your focus off of me to him. If I said LeBron James is bringing the word next week, this place would be packed. (laughs) And he could preach heresy and bad doctrine, and y'all be like... He can tell y'all that Jesus was an alien, and y'all be like, I guess I can see how he got there. (laughs) You give him a pass. He's he's LeBron James. It's just something that, like, you you know what I'm saying? And, and, And it's something that he showed up. So 
that doesn't, he doesn't have that same effect that you know he's out there somewhere. The idea that LeBron, LeBron James right now is out there somewhere. Somewhere he's out there. And that doesn't affect this room to know that LeBron James exists. But the presence of LeBron James shifts the room and shifts your focus because it doesn't matter that he exists. We all know that he exists. But if he walked down here right now and sat in the front row and his presence was here, it would shift something in you because he's here. So the idea that God exists doesn't change anyone. But God's presence, the fact that God is here. I don't think we understand the power of presence. There are certain things that y'all do every day that if your grandmama walked in, you wouldn't do. You saw your grandma coming, you go, oh shoot, snap his grandma. You, you stop cussing. Any of y'all just got foul mouths? I mean, you, this, you in LA. This is L.A. Christian. Some of y'all, like, you cussed all the way until you got into the building. You was pulling the grandmother, bitch, beep, beep, boom. You're on the way to church. But the moment you get in the building, here's what's weird. The moment you get in the building, if your friend you brought to church said a cuss word out loud, you'd be like, hey. Y'all cussed the whole way to church. They lit up whatever somebody y'all got in your purse right now that you're going to smoke in the parking lot. Somebody lit that up in church. You go, what are you doing? You know what? I never caught anyone cussing in church unless they're just normal. I mean, for the most part, like we don't. Why? Because we think God's presence resides in here. And so we don't do things in here that we do out there. I've never caught anyone like making out in church. Because it's like, nah, this is church. And I'm not saying anything against those things, but I'm saying presence. I feel like preaching today. I'm just going to tell you. And I got to get to my notes real quick because I'm going to go over. But do you know the very first time that church was called church or the house of God was called the house of God? The very first time that was used, it was called Bethel. Uh, Bethel. El means God. Beth means house. And, and Jacob saw a vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder and God's presence was there and he had his head on a rock in the middle of the wilderness and he said I did not know God's presence was here I shall name this place the house of God so he didn't go to church something became a church because he became aware of the presence so the house of God is not God is everywhere in all things awareness is what shifts it from God is omnipresent to God is here personally revealing himself to me. So the church service is, the, is a place where there's the most awareness. That's why you feel God the most because we're coming here to be in God's presence. But if God did that in your car, if God did that in your bedroom, you know the Bible says that the enemy was thrown out of, the devil was thrown out of heaven, but you know it says something specific in the book of Revelation? It said that Michael, first of all, kicked him out. But it says, when there was no more room left for him, he was cast out. So it suggests, we can't be sure, but it, the scripture suggests that the devil went to different places in heaven trying to stay. And Michael the archangel said, not here, not here, not here, not here. You can no longer be in the presence of God. And since God's presence is everywhere and everyone realizes it, everyone knew 
that the devil didn't belong there anymore. What if the devil, heaven is here, but the devil's at your address? You need to figure out how to take what happens here and manifest that presence at home. Does that make sense? And so we're going to read about Moses because my guy Moses, he, he was the only person in the Old Testament who met face to face with God. Um, you really can't talk about God's presence in the Old Testament and not talk about Moses because nobody in the Old Testament met with God face to face. The Bible would suggest in 2 Corinthians 3 that we can behold Christ in the face of Jesus. So because we've been forgiven of our sin, we can behold God face to face. When you can, uh, not literally, but like spiritually, you can behold God in ways that even people in the Old Testament could not. But Moses was a miracle. He was born um, the, the, the uh the Pharaoh at that time was killing every child under two. Uh, the Bible says that Moses' mother put him in a basket. That, that Hebrew word for basket is ark. So the first ark in, in the Bible was the, the ark that Noah built. The second and only ark in the, in the rest of the Bible is the ark that Moses' mother built. Both arks were put on water. The ark saved God's people. Uh, the, the ark saved a handful of God's people. The ark that Moses' mother uh, built saved all of Israel. Obviously, her ark was a little bit smaller. It was a basket, but she wove an ark out of reeds and put them in the water. Moses built an ark with wood and put it in the water. Like, this is a powerful revelation of how God was moving. The Bible says that Pharaoh's uh, daughter found Moses and, and, and adopted Moses and raised Moses in Egyptian culture. So Moses was the grandson of the leader of the nation. He would have raised, uh, been raised rich. He would have been raised wealthy. He would have been raised with all these resources. So he was worldly on the outside, but on the inside, he was a Hebrew boy. And, and he was too young to know that he was a Hebrew boy because he was found as a baby. So unless his uh, adopted mother from Egypt told him how she found him, either one, one, she was told by his adoptive mother that he was Hebrew, or he knew that by revelation. Because the Bible says that as he got to be an older man, uh, he saw an Egyptian man beating up a, a, a Hebrew man who was enslaved, and Moses burned hot with anger, the Bible says, and killed that Egyptian man and went on the run. And he found himself shepherding sheep in the middle of the wilderness. Now, if you look in Genesis, every single Egyptian person detested shepherds. Matter of fact, when Joseph uh, saved his brothers from the famine, he told his brothers, don't tell Pharaoh you're shepherds for the Egyptian people hate shepherds. So not only is Moses away from his wealth, away from his opulence, but now he has a job he was raised to hate, and he's behind the mountain. This context is so important for you to understand that now God's presence, the goodness of God, is meeting Moses in the place that he hates. And I want to tell you something. If you really want to encounter the Lord, Sometimes the goodness of God will meet you in the place that you hate. I know you might hate this season. I know you might hate your job. I know there might be something you hate. I know you might hate the anxiety or this feeling of being overwhelmed. But in my life, God has been faithful almost 100% of the time to meet me in the place that I am currently praying to get out of. He doesn't just get me out of it. He meets me in it. And I tell you right now, you're on your way out of something, not because you're praying to get out of it, but when you can get a revelation while you're still in it and God meets you, 
He doesn't meet you to hang out there. He meets you there to lead you out. So we're going to read about the story where God met with Moses. Exodus 3 verses 1 through 5 say this. One day Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Moses in verse 3 said, this is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Notice the bush is God, but Moses doesn't know it's God. He's just curious that a bush is on fire. God did not reveal to Moses from a distance that the bush was God. But God did something that caught Moses' attention. And we're going to find that when Moses got close, Moses realized it was God. Can I tell you, I believe that God is going to take a couple of Christians who are humble in this room and bless them in a way that gets unbelievers' attention. And, and, and it's going to be when that unbeliever gets close to you, they're going to realize that what God has done in your life, that was him. It wasn't your gift. It wasn't your skill. God is going to give you a proverbial burning bush to attract people. And when they get close, they're going to realize they're standing on holy ground, that it was God who gave you that gift, that it was God who promoted you, that it was God who, who, who blessed you. And so we don't need to shout the truth from afar. We need to allow people to come close. And when people get close, they realize that's God. Bible says, Moses got to the bush and come to take a, uh, take a closer look, and God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. That's my best God voice. <laughs> I feel like, like God sounds like Morgan Freeman at the least, or like James Earl Jones, Mufasa's voice. Everything the light touches is your kingdom. Simba, Moses, Moses. I kind of sound like him. It's pretty good. Moses goes, here I am. Don't come any closer. Jesus. You know how near you can get to God? You know when the Bible says God, the God is near? In James, the Bible says God is near. You know that word near means like a bent elbow. When God says he's near, that means he, it's like the near that he has his arm around you. Do you know that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're your, your mistakes are, no matter what your sin is, that when the New Testament through the sacrifice of Jesus, when God comes near, it's this. And then when you believe, he fills you with his spirit. So when you get to heaven, you might be tempted to ask Moses, what was it like for God to speak to you through the burning bush? And Moses would say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I want to know what it was like to have that same presence on the inside of you because I didn't have that. I didn't have that. He goes, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Now, um, I already told you Moses' occupation. Uh, what was Moses? This is what the presence of God does. The presence of God revealed itself, lit a bush on fire. The presence of God created something that was attractive so someone would come inspect it. I hope the presence of God makes Oasis a burning bush so that people would come with curiosity and come to find out that it's God. But the second thing it did is it transformed the ground. What was Moses' occupation? Now, 
Moses had sandals, take off your shoes. It would have been customary for everybody to take their sandals off, not just when they were walking to sacred spaces, but when they were walking into houses. You know why? Because them Gucci sandals were filthy (laughs) because they were shepherds. So they're traipsing through uh, sheep dung and goat dung. And so Moses was likely standing on ground that was littered with crap. Literally. And notice God didn't say, Moses, go get a broom and clean this place up because I'm here. He said, you're standing on holy ground. What was the toilet for animals became holy instantly because of God's presence. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, the, the holiness of God didn't come and clean it all up. The Bible doesn't say it did that. The Bible says what was the animal's toilet became instantly holy. That's what God's presence does in your life. And somebody in here, when the Lord shows up, you grab a broom and try to clean up everything in your soul spiritually because you realize God's here and then you go, now I got to get it together. No, no, no. When the presence of God shows up and our response is the awareness of the presence of God, it makes immediately what was unclean clean. Immediately. Take off your shoes. You're you're standing on holy ground. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. No, God wants to make, the Bible talks about our hearts in, in, in 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 all, really, the Gospels, our hearts being comparison to soil, and that the Word of God goes into our soil, which is our heart. But when we believe in Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit, the Lord sanctifies and cleans our heart spiritually through the shed blood of Jesus. And so now that heart becomes holy ground. Now you have a holy word and holy ground. And the Bible says when a holy word hits holy ground, it can produce 30, 60 times or 100 times more than what was sown. So this is important that when we are in God's presence, we understand what is happening. There's a beautiful worship song that said, let us become more aware of his presence. God is always here. But when we become aware The ground that is our heart becomes holy and it becomes more receptive to God's word. That's why it's so important to be responsive to God's presence. Responsive to God's presence. God tells him not to stand any closer because you're standing on holy ground. You know what's interesting about this word holy when it comes to God? It's actually a scary word that's been been used to beat up Christians because it's like if you're not holy, you're not perfect, you're not worthy. But the holiness was not about your holiness, it was about God's holiness. There's a reason why you have the Holy Spirit. When I grew up, I was never told about the Holy Spirit. I was told about God, his word. That's it. And so I thought that God's word was something that I had to follow. And people told me what was in God's word. It's why you see religious people in our culture today, modern day Pharisees, who tell people about God's word, but don't tell people about Jesus. Because Jesus is the word. So when you tell people about Jesus, you are telling about the word. But you should tell them about the gospel, the forgiving grace and the love of Jesus. But this is why you need to understand how holy God is, because if God is not holy, why does his love matter? Anybody ever had someone in your your life that do something really dirty to you and then go, you know, I love you, man. Well, yeah, you just stole five thousand dollars from me and you said you pay me back and you didn't. But no, bro, I love you, bro. And we throw this word love around casually. Or I love you is an abbreviation for 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient, love is kind. Love does not keep. When God says he loves you, he's saying I'm patient, I'm kind. I don't keep record of wrongdoing. Like do you get what I'm saying is I rejoice when the truth wins out. 
I don't complain that the truth is not winning. God loves you so much. He's patient. God can wait on a thousand years. God can wait for the generations to come to him. God is so patient. God can wait. Religious people can't wait. You got to give your life to Christ now or you're evil and you're wicked. When God is in heaven going, son, daughter, I, I, I love you. It's important we understand this because God calls the ground holy. And if you don't know God is holy, you cannot understand how important his love is if you don't understand how awesome his character is. Because when you realize that God is awesome, back to LeBron James' analogy, if you have any kids in who play basketball and LeBron James walks up to your kid and says, I love the way you play the game, it doesn't matter if Pastor Julian says, I love to play the game, but LeBron James says that. He's the best basketball player, one of the top three ever. Uh, and I said that intentionally because number one is Michael Jordan and then Kobe and then... Like, so top three, like, stop it. But it's who he is that makes that compliment so powerful. So when God says he loves you, but you don't know who he is, his love can't matter to you, and then you've exalted someone else in your life who doesn't like you or who's rejected you, and God's acceptance of you doesn't outweigh a man's rejection of you. So now when church leaders reject you, you have not had the revelation that God has accepted you. So now you have what's called church hurt because you cannot reject. That's how it works. There's someone you've exalted that you need that. Can you imagine some person that don't mean nothing to you rejects you? You don't care about that. But that person meant something to you and you think their character is more than what you think it is. People come to me all the time and go, man, you're an amazing man of God. I'm like, how do you know? You don't know what I do in a secret place? You don't know what I do when nobody's looking? I'm not a man of God because of what I do up here. I'm a man of God because of what the Lord does in here. Ain't nothing about me good. Nothing about me. I'd be smoking and drinking and cussing if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I still... No, I'm just playing. Sometimes I still do. Ain't nobody perfect. We got to walk out of this church right now. He just basically said he did three cardinal sins. Number one. All right. I'm just joking. You guys will be able to take a joke. But here's, here's, we can't be responsive to God's presence if we don't allow God to shift the holy ground that represents our heart so the word of God can, can go in. But you know, the first thing God called holy in the Bible is time. Did y'all know that? Genesis chapter 2, it says, let us set apart a day and make it holy. The first thing he called in the Bible was time. So if you don't have a holy time, how do you encounter holy presence? Like, you got to have some time. How many of you... Most of the day, you use to meet the expectations of other people. We use most of our day to meet the expectations of other people. Or most of the day to meet the expectations of ourselves. But your holy time is a time where you can expect things from God. God, I'm expecting your mercy today. I'm expecting your grace. I'm expecting you to reveal something to me. And, and maybe you're busy, but I would highly recommend that if you don't have a holy time, it's really hard to encounter God in his presence. And maybe that time for you is three minutes. Maybe that's all you got. I'm not saying you got to sit around. So many people's like, dude, have you, have you tarried with the Lord for an hour? I'm like, I'll be sitting there, man, like trying to pray. Like, did Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes win the game yesterday? <laughs> Anybody else like that? Where you like, 
is Beyonce's concert this Friday or? <laughs> you just be in the presence of God. Wait, am I? <laughs> Did I pay my car payment? <laughs> Anybody else get distracted in the presence of God? Come on, make some noise, you get distracted. Some of y'all are like, not me. I tarry with the Lord for an hour in my prayer closet. Like, I'm not me. I burn incense to the Lord. I just, I just have an insatiable appetite for prayer. I'm a prayer warrior. Anytime you have a prayer warrior, I always feel ashamed. I've never been a prayer warrior. I'm just trying to figure it out. That's why I need prayer warriors in my life. But for you, it's like, it's not about how much time. It's, is the time set apart and holy so you can actually be in God's presence? Because most of us, are not as bad as we think. I, I gotta be honest with you. Most of us are not as bad as we think. We're worse. <laughs> We're worse. We're actually worse. I'm not as bad as you think. I'm worse. And if I understand that, then I know how much of who I wanna be hinges on encountering the God that is so good, I'm wasting my time trying to use my goodness to get anything else to happen. Like most people that will attack your sins, they think they're good. They think they're good. And it's really hard not to be religious. I said this last week, it's really hard not to be religious. I think we think it's easy, it's really hard not to be religious. Here's what religion is. Religion is, and I shared this last week, but I'm gonna share it again because it's profoundly important. Religious is this. It is you go into the water, and the water has this crazy um, current or undertow. Um, I'm trying to find the words because um, black people would never get in the water where there was a current or undertow. So I don't, excuse me if I didn't say it right, but like, every time there's a shark attack, it's never, we're on the beach in Tyrone over here. <laughs> Always Billy. Chase. Sharks never had dark meat, never will. <laughs> Sharks only eat breasts and wings, that's it. It's true. You want to come here to truth, it's true. Go Google something on YouTube, shark attack. Never about, like, in the history of the world, I've, I've searched. Never been a black man attacked by a shark. Do you know I've searched? There's never been a black man attacked by a shark. I've searched. I, I'm sorry. I, after my Bible study, I went on a deep dive. There's never been one. I find that to be so funny. There's never been one in the history of mankind. So let's say you go out into the water, or there's like a shark in the water, or there's something crazy. There's an undertow in the water, and you go out there anyway, and you get yourself in a situation where you need to be rescued and a lifeguard comes out and rescues you, and you almost lose your life in the water. And there's a bunch of people on the beach who are getting ready to go in the water. Religion is telling everybody about the dangers of the water, not about the encounter you had with the person who saved you. So we, in our own human nature, we all would naturally be religious because we would all go to the shore and go, hey, we, none of us would go, hey, if you have, the water's pretty tricky. By the way, if you get in trouble, there's this lifeguard. 
that will come grab you and come save you and come rescue you. It is against our human nature to let people discover on their own this experience with salvation. We would actually be compelled to start a don't go in the water ministry. Religion is a don't go in the water ministry. Christianity is there's a savior because every one of you has gone into the water, will go into the water. When you do, there is a name that will come get you if you call on it. And the name is Jesus. And when we say that name, some people go into the water anyway. And some people stay on the shore with the Savior. But either way, we got to stop telling people about the water. We got to stop telling people about the water. That's not the message. And so the presence of God makes you stop telling people about the water. You know you can have sin trauma. You have so much sin in your life, you start telling people about sin as soon as you get saved. Or you think it's so long since you've been sinning, your ministry is telling people not to sin. That's not the ministry. The, mis the ministry is the gospel, salvation from sin. That's something you need to be saved from. All of us. I want to invite you to stand to your feet because this is really important. We get this about the presence of God. I mean, I, I can't say it anyway. But the Bible says that the Lord, and I'm going to skip to Ephesians 3, verse 6, where God says, I've heard the cries and distress of my people. And Exodus 3, verse 6 says, 5 talks about how he heard the cries of the people. And Exodus 3, verse 6 says, so I have come down. I never saw that in this scripture. He wasn't operating in this context from heaven. He said, I know what's happening with my people, so I have come down. I'm showing up. Jesus would say later in John 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who, who sent me. God showed up. And God showed up in such a way to Moses that Moses had to hide his face. He told God to not come any closer. But yet in Hebrews, the Bible says that God shows up the same way today. You might not go outside and see a burning bush. You will not. But you can still see God. And if you did go outside, and have an Old Testament experience with a burning bush, you would see a God that you could not approach. Only Moses could approach God. The Bible says Moses hid his face because he thought he was going to die. And now you meet with God, not being afraid of death, but you meet with God so you can live the life that God has called you to live. Because Hebrews 12 verse 18 says this. This is the difference. This is why Moses would interview you when you go to heaven, when you'd be attempted, uh, uh, tempted to interview him. Because in verse 18, Hebrews 12, it says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did 
and Mount Sinai. They, they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. When people don't have the Holy Spirit, they beg God to stop saying what he's saying. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you beg God to keep saying what he is saying. We have got to stop shouting to people. Oh, I could go there. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight, he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, 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 no. You have not come to a burning bush. You have not come to Mount uh, Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion, spiritually, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. When you are here praising and worshiping God, you have joined a church service that heaven is having right now. You've come to all of that. The Bible says you've come to God himself who's the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect and verse 24 says you have come to Jesus and people the new covenant he mediates the new covenant between God and people so he ensures he's the in-between between you the promises of God and God himself, he connects. So when you make a mistake that in the Old Testament would forfeit the promises of God, Jesus' blood covers that sin, and now the promises of God are released, not through your perfection, but a perfect sacrifice. Do you know how gracious Jesus is? This is the mountain you have come to. And that presence is something that you have to respond to. It's what we call the manifest presence of God. It's not just God's here theologically. God is here practically and tangibly. I would pray that the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the Isaiah 60 says, arise, get up from your stress, get up from your anxiety, arise for the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. You cannot keep God's glory down. And if we would just worship him, the devil couldn't keep you down because every morning the glory of the Lord arises to shine upon you. Bible says, get up for the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. Get up for the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. Get up because the same atmosphere that Moses saw rises. You don't have to inspect the burning bush. It rises every morning through faith to shine upon you. The glory, the full goodness of God is over your life. I know you've had a tough season, but get up. The glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. I know you're going through a breakup, but get up. The glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. I know you're not feeling it right now, but get up. The glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. I know you're not where you want to be, but get up. The glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. I know the church hurt you and people misled you and mistreated you, but get up. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. I'm believing for 100 Christians who would praise God right now in Jesus' name and get up in Jesus' name for the glory of the Lord rises and shine upon you. Jesus, you have no rival. Jesus, you have no equal. We can't compare anything to you. In Jesus' name, get up. Thanks for joining us. 
Be sure to subscribe, review, and share with a friend. To join us on the journey of being present, connected, and generous, visit oasisla.org slash connect. We love you so much, and we'll see you soon.